BCG Media presents High Tech Sunday. On today's episode of High Tech Sunday, our hosts, Dr. Mark Vaughn and Lango Dean, sit down with the lead engineer and solutions architect for Lidos, Crystal Porter, for a conversation on the digital divide. Up first is Corning Incorporated's manager of technical talent pipelining, Dr. Mark Vaughn. Next is Career Communication Group's Senior Technology Editor, Lango Dean. Finally, our esteemed guest, Crystal Porter. As Lead Engineer and Solutions Architect, Porter is responsible for identifying, developing, and driving new technologies into customer-focused solutions. Outside of her corporate efforts, Porter works tirelessly to ensure that others can excel by teaching family members and younger individuals how to get into successful career paths to make a difference for themselves and the world. Crystal has been a recipient of many awards. Most recently, the Dr. Wanda M. Austin Legacy Award at the 2021 Baya STEM Conference. And without further delay, High Tech Sunday, featuring Dr. Mark Vaughn and Lango Dean. Well, thank you so much, Brandon, and uh, welcome everybody to this episode of High Tech Sunday. Uh, it's such a pleasure to be with you once again. Thank you for carving out the time to join us for what we know will be another important and engaging conversation. Uh, really excited to welcome our special guest today, Crystal Porter. So let me check in. Crystal, how are you? Doing great. Thank you. Awesome. We're really looking forward to the conversation today. And it's a one, when you look at what we're going to talk about, the digital divide. We've been hearing about the digital divide in so many different ways over the course of the last several decades, actually, but there's a parenthetic today, and that is the pandemic edition. Uh, and so really interested to understand what that's all about and how it is that this global crisis has magnified, exacerbated, exposed uh, what it is that we think of in terms of this digital divide. Before we jump in, though, it's always really cool at the opening of each broadcast to learn about each of our guests. And so just want to find out a little bit about your background and, and how it is that you came to this place where you are on your journey. And, and when did you know that the path that you were on is the right one. So if you had to give the elevator speech, but it was all about Crystal Porter, what would you say? Who are you? So I am from the west side of Chicago and uh, I live in Northern Virginia today. So originally how I got early into STEM uh, was back around the mid nineties. Uh, I was in a STEM program at Rush Chicago Hospital. And so the thing about how I got into this particular field in STEM was actually, once I graduated from college, I received my commission into the U.S. Army as a second lieutenant into the Signal Corps branch. When I attended college, I actually graduated with a degree in finance. So this was far from IT, anything in STEM related, to be honest. And once I started my journey with the military, as far as being an officer uh, and branched 
assigned it to the Signal Corps. It's where I developed my passion with STEM, everything from technology to mathematics, and just being around a lot of communications equipment and doing things with communications and telephone services. So that's how I became who I am today into STEM. Very cool. And so we've got Chi-Town in the house, and uh, we also are, are certainly appreciative of your service. So thank you uh, for that. Uh, you mentioned growing up, uh, you weren't necessarily on a STEM pathway. However, you were exposed to STEM. So uh, when it came time for school, college, uh, what was it that directed you into the finance area uh, in the first place? Um, so while I was in the uh, Rush Hospital program, it was a STEM program, I also received in high school a scholarship and an internship at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. And so that was my introduction into the finance world and the different things with, you know, um, trading, futures and options and insurance and a lot of things that fit under financial uh, accounting, so to speak. So that's how I got into finance. Um, and my path definitely wasn't going towards STEM. So my actual introduction, again, into this type of field that I'm in currently was through the commission through the U.S. Army Reserves and uh, going to Signal Corps, graduating from Officer Basic Course, and pretty much deploying with the military, doing all things that relate to how we communicate and how we do things with telephones and radios and computers, all those things tactically and commercial in the U.S. Army. Wow. And so we all understand, especially in the midst of this crisis that we've lived through for over a year now, that communications has become a lifeline. So uh, we definitely have perhaps a better appreciation now than ever for the kind of work that you were doing while you were in military service and even now as a civilian. We know from the pre-interview that you are a woman of faith. So on High Tech Sunday, we recognize that there are all kinds of levels of spirituality. Uh, talk to us about how your faith has informed and inspired your journey. I am a preacher's kid. My grandfather was the pastor of my church back home in Chicago. A long history of ministers and deacons and missionaries and evangelists in my family to include my brother and my mom and my father. And so my entire life, I grew up in the church. I spent many summer programs, many programs that, you know, pay homage to giving service to the people um, and not just people in the church, but outside the church. And I've always had an early start to serving and edifying the body of Christ. And so growing up, I had many questions. I would always ask God in prayer and many things to my granddad. I was very inquisitive and always seeking knowledge in many ways. And a lot of times, God answered me by sending me far away or opening a door that paved the way to where I am today, which I still hold those values that was instilled in me from my grandparents and, you know, from my mother and father. 
And you said something I think that uh, is really powerful, and that is that even from a young age, you were interested in serving. And so when you think about where Crystal Porter is today, how would you kind of caption for us just what is your passion? What is your mission? My mission mission is reach back to others like me or who want to be inspired by things that I have done. And my passion is the advocacy of STEM. I truly believe that STEM is something that, as for the U.S., that that's focused that we need to be, raise more awareness of. And my, my passion and, you know, my mission is to motivate others in being part of a team. And I love to do that. I love giving back in that area, whether it's time, whether it's money, whether it's speaking or mentoring, that's what I do. Got it. And so as you think about this whole paying it forward, giving back, uh, using your gifts and your talents, uh, talk to us a little bit about your uh, present career. Uh, We know from the introduction that you are at Lidos. Uh, Tell us a little bit about how you would define your role and responsibilities there. I am elite engineer on ARLE program, uh, which stands for Airborne Reconnaissance Low Enhanced. It basically comprises like the Dash 8 aircraft. And my role and responsibilities is leading the software, IT, and cyber team. We're responsible for the baseline of software, hardware, and also mitigating the risk of uh, cyber attacks or anything as far as locking down those systems and making it secure in accordance with a lot of government standards. And I rely heavily on these teams they're called IPT teams, integrated product teams, and uh, for daily operations. And typically, I'm searching for solutions to support the tasks that we've completed or something driven from the government to enhance what we have currently available. And I work with highly skilled, intelligent individuals who I love to work with every day. We have a lot of quirks. We're very smart and nerdy, but we have fun. <laughs> <laughs> And that's important, right? You said that uh, you're doing some serious work, but you have fun uh, in the process. And I think that for people who are interested in in technology careers, that's so important to highlight. And I'm sure that you and uh, Lango Dean will talk a little bit more about that in our, our third segment. But you just spoke about your day job, if you will. Help us make the connection to this whole concern that you have regarding the digital divide. I guess we can start with, how would you define the digital divide? To me, the digital divide is the gap between those who can benefit from the digital age and those who are not. So essentially, it's an uneven distribution of information and communication technologies in society. And if we were to break that down, we would think of it as stages or access points. You know, there's an economic divide, such as affording a computer, and there's a usability divide as far as skill sets with technology. I believe at the time, you know, 40% of U.S. population has a lower literacy skills. Um, So when I think of the digital divide and the gap, I think of... um, who is benefiting from the digital age and who are not. 
And it's interesting how it is that you uh, kind of wove that thread right there. So it's like you couldn't talk about digital divide without talking about the impact of the economic divide. And then you also talked about literacy divide. And I think that you could make the case that they're all connected. If you if you have the one, let's say the digital divide, it's going to impact you economically and perhaps even on the literacy side. So we know that it happened so fast last March when you had the determination that, yep, we are in a global pandemic worldwide with COVID-19. And literally, it seemed like within days, things started shutting down, including our schools. And as you think about how it is that the education system was forced to go virtual, and then you talk about how it is that the resources that are needed in order for you to do that effectively, it, it sounds like you would agree that there was a significant magnification of the haves and the have-nots. So what are some of the biggest differences that, that you've seen between affluent and underserved schools during this time? So when we look and measure at the digital divide in terms of you know citizen population and access to information and communication technologies, we're looking at you know telephone distancing, personal computer deployment, and number of internet users. So then when we dive deeper into that, we look at the affluent schools that you know with the teachers, the educators, and the parents, and the different types of devices and software that is used. A lot of the affluent schools provided to their students a more upgrade device, such as an iPad or a Dell computer, and all the software was provided. And these systems had a baseline. When you look at the underserved schools, the underserved schools have, you know, a partnership or so with different corporations or programs based on the school. But a lot of these resources that were provided to the student lacked some um, software or some of the things, some of the devices were not standard between the laptops and uh, the iPads to themselves. So it's a huge difference in between resources provided to the students and the capacity of the virtual learning on these resources. So being able to have so many different programs up at one time or different things open at one time. So that's all about speed. That's all about access and also using the different software. There's a disadvantage between what the affluent schools uses every day compared to the underserved students and schools who are not up on this virtual plan from the beginning. So it took a big, huge step and gap to even try to get to where they are today. And when you, when you, Articulated that way, it, it sounds like it's somewhat of a Himalayan task to close the gap. But then in the pre-interview, you actually highlighted something that I don't think has gotten much attention at all. And that is not only is there this divide when it comes to students, but there's also this gap in the digital skills of their teachers. 
Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yes. We often focus on students with resources and accessibility to the internet, but often overlook the gap in teachers' digital skills. And, you know, it's not uncommon for some teachers to have tenure and teach for years, and there's an aging workforce. This is not to say all by any means, but the pandemic has highlighted many teachers who are out of touch with digital technology. You know, before the pandemic, these teachers were teaching in one style and had not adapted to the virtual environment. And some were also reluctant to incorporate technology into the classroom environment. It's very common in tier one schools were impacted severely by this. We see parents unfamiliar with the virtualized environment and also the teachers. So now you have teachers, parents, and students in underserved schools not having the skill sets to really use. We use devices to do social media, but using these devices to actually do work and research is a whole nother level. That skill isn't there when, you know, learning how to log into Zoom or using Google Drive, those things of that nature. And so uh, let's continue uh, along those lines. If you are firstly a student that even if you have the, the, the greatest teacher, you are limited because of the divide, but then you're a committed teacher, but you also have limitations. How is it that you are able to bridge that gap for both the educators and the students through partnerships. I believe that, that again, in the, in the pre-interview, you mentioned the importance of partnerships to help with this. Can you share some light on that? Yes. So when I surveyed teachers, students, and parents across the country, I asked the questions, you know, what type of school would they consider being, you know, as a tier one, affluent, different districts. And I learned that many of the underserved schools were purchasing digital aids for their classroom by their own resources. And sometimes that was through partnerships where they talked and reached out to a company or donorschoose.org uh, where they went out and requested, you know, folks to donate to their classroom so they can purchase things for the class. And through this process, I learned that not all classes are the same, and some may require more software and storage to complete classroom objectives. So it looks like some educators in some of the areas had to contribute more than other educators in different areas where you know, the funding or the actual digital divide doesn't necessarily exist. I believe I recall that you actually shared that your findings demonstrated that in some cases, these educators are actually having to go into their own pockets to actually acquire these different subscription services in order to allow the students to be able to do more. And so, uh, again, shining a light on this is, is just uh, such uh, an important thing to do. Uh, and your work is helping to actually do just that. When you think about the partnerships, I believe that you mentioned that with them, there is still the situation that you run into where you might have a very 
sophisticated piece of equipment, or you might not. Uh, can you speak to how that, uh, the actual resources in terms of equipment, actually contribute to this gap that you've been highlighting for us? Yes. While the partnerships are great and have been bought on due to the CARES Act, some schools don't have the IT staff or resources to provide a standard baseline. So what I'm gathering information from the various uh, survey that I've taken, uh, some of these devices haven't been completely white or their performance isn't optimized and there are apps on certain machines that are not on other devices. And so when you look at it, there isn't necessarily a full entire IT help desk section. There may be one person at the school that's basically running and, 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 and assigning or maintaining the receipts or giving out the laptop or the iPad. So that one person for IT for X amount of students isn't enough to produce a standard baseline to make sure that all these devices are at the same level. And these baselines is vary. And if you know, like I know, working in corporate America or other organizations, normally you receive your device from the company and it has all the software that you need, its performances, is fast, uh, it's reliable, but when presenting these type of devices to the students, the baselines vary. And if you're not IT, one, it impacts learning. It stops and interrupts the classroom when non-IT people are trying to figure out how to program, configure, or connect. So a lot of parents were unfamiliar with this, not knowing what needed to be onto the laptop or to the iPad. And the same way with the teachers with the skills gap there, not being familiar with how to set this up. And again, you know, looking back on it, we're talking one or two personnel at the schools that are responsible for distributing the IT, distributing the computer route, but not necessarily maintaining a baseline or a standard baseline for everyone to use these, be on the same page with accessing their um, devices for school. Wow, this is, this is just so important, so stunning to think about how Intricate, how intricate and complicated uh, this problem can get as you're talking about the interplay between not only curricular materials, but the supporting technology. So we, we often talk about how resilient our underserved students are in particular and how it is that educators in underserved areas, they just do incredible things, even though they have a lot fewer resources at their disposal. So let me just ask this question. Would you say that students in less affluent communities or schools have a, a fair shot at success in this current digital learning age that we're in? Why or why, or why not? I would say less affluent communities and schools are at a disadvantage. It's more than just access. It's a skills gap issue as well. We have students struggling with simple tasks such as creating a Word doc, completing research on the internet, and logging into emails for setting up email accounts. I think the digital divide encompasses both differences 
and access and computer usage. So I believe that the less affluent communities are at a disadvantage with some of the things that we discussed already. I, I believe that you are right on point. And so let, let me ask you a, a different question. You are an IT expert. You've got the experience. You've been talking about solutions that would be able to help close these gaps. So if you had your way and there were no restrictions due to funding or other resources, what would be the issue that you would tackle first in order to make the biggest impact in closing this digital divide? My first objective would be technology literacy. Even though our students are growing up in the digital age, the lack of exposure to technology early on impacts the amount of technology some of these students can use at the secondary level. And I say that to say, yes, our students and our kids and, and children, they're very familiar with social media. They can do a lot of things on that. But where we often fall short is that teaching them and having them early exposure to actual research and using the different software, using the different Word docs, Excel sheets or spreadsheets, or using making a chart. A lot of these skills aren't necessarily introduced until sometime the college or even, I'm sorry, the high school years. So I feel as we exposed a lot in the less affluent community early on, this will help in the skills sets and the skills gap, especially when we look at, you know, going off to high school and going off to college. And obviously this will be used in you know, the career role too as well. When you think about the solutions that you just teed up, the technical literacy, as well as this understanding of being uh, what I think of when I heard you uh, speaking about uh, how uh, our young people, how our society uh, actually embraces social media, uh, it's from the perspective of a consumer as opposed to a producer. And it sounded like we need to help our young people understand the production side of technology. But the reality is that we're not out of the woods yet. This pandemic is continuing to grip the world and the United States in terms of numbers more so than any other single country. And so we might imagine that this gap is continuing to widen in the process. And so what is it that you would say to the High Tech Sunday audience? What can we do to help with the kind of work that you are espousing? I would say what the listeners could do to help is start assisting um, some of the younger generation with basic skills from internet access to searching, knowing the difference between a sponsored ad, picking the right search engine, learning to craft documents, spreadsheets, and briefs. I mean, we all love social media, but the internet has a wealth of knowledge too as well. There are free courses from some of these corporations to teach you how to use some of the different software. There's Zoom classes. There are classes to teach you how to use the different Microsoft Office Suite and using Google Drive. 
And so learning how to use these different software, I think will enable early on help our students, help our teachers. And there's also many YouTube videos out there and courses for free that as the listener, you can jump ahead on for you and also maybe someone that you support or in your household. Great tips. Thank you. And and that is work that all of us can find ourselves being able to do today. Uh, and so it, it doesn't even require that we uh, go to school like you did and become a, an, an IT expert. We can uh, get in where we fit in, so to speak. Uh, this has really been important information. Uh, we're talking to Crystal Porter, as you know, and I'm going to have the opportunity to come back in a, a bit to talk a little bit more. But right now, I'm happy to hand things off to my co-host, Lango Dean. You're listening to High Tech Sunday, featuring Dr. Mark Vaughn, Lango Dean, and our special guest, lead engineer and solutions architect for Lidos, Crystal Porter. The deadline for 2021 Women of Color STEM Conference nominations is quickly approaching. Stay tuned for a message from our sponsor. It's time to nominate your heroes. Get your nominations in for the Women of Color STEM Conference. The Women of Color STEM Conference is an annual conference focused on empowering women of color in the STEM field. The 26th annual conference will be held on October 7th through the 9th, 2021. Please visit www.ccgheroes.com for more details on our nomination process. All peer-reviewed nominations are due on April 30th, 2021. All Outstanding Achievement Award nominations are due on May 15, 2021. Again, please visit www.ccgheroes.com for more details on our nomination process. Again, the window for nominations is closing, so please visit www.ccgheroes.com for more information. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the show, Ms. Porter. It's great to have you here today. As I listen to you talk about a variety of things with Dr. Vaughn, what interested me most was how you got to the Signal Corps, the Army Telecoms unit, so to speak. You had a background in financial accounting, if I'm not mistaken. You had a background in data and, and the use of data. And, and it's fascinating how you develop those skills there. And those skills are now helping you in technical things like cybersecurity, and I think you are best positioned to sort of give young people advice because they are questioning the prevailing view of science, technology, engineering, math. Some, some of them are saying, well, what is STEM? Why can't financial mathematics be STEM or financial engineering be STEM? So 
looking now at your journey a bit more, you've moved from the military, technical writer to systems engineering. How were you able to move through these fields into the current position that you are? What was the motivation? What drove you? What helped you? And, and what kept you going? I would say, um, so with the military, I enlisted while in college, and then I decided to complete the program, the simultaneous membership program, where it introduced me into obtaining my commission as an officer. So that was my journey during the military. And as far as my role as technical writer, system engineering, and those things, I often raise my hand for the complex problems. And I volunteered to go first on programs where we surged. I initially started out as software and systems and networks and anything that piqued my interest out of curiosity, I would raise my hand. And I would also say, if it's God's will, then so be it. I didn't shy away from the work or the heart programs or the heart problems. I've always been curious about how things work and I love to put things together. And so all of those different areas helped me to have this broad view of different things and lead teams and be a part of so many wonderful programs throughout Lido's. Thank you for that. So you were curious about how things work. Uh, you volunteered for complex problems. You didn't shy away from hard work. With a little bit of luck and God's will, here you are today. What advice would you give students who are pursuing a STEM career? STEM careers are so diverse nowadays. Recently, I think MIT made one of their financial programs a STEM program because we previously, oh, 10 years ago, accounting and finance were not considered STEM majors, but nowadays they are. So finance and accounting are all part of STEM um, these days. So what advice would you give students who are pursuing any kind of STEM career? I would say don't be afraid. Mistakes and failures happen, but keep at it. You learn even more on the job. So what you can do right now is get a foundation in processes and habits that, you know, core values you stick with. And ask someone in the field that you're interested in, and it's okay to change or be interested in multiple fields. Sometimes you'll shock yourself at the things that you're capable of. I didn't know that, you know, hey, this will come into handy doing things in finance that's still a part of the business acumen, the culture, but also some of the different things that I never imagined myself being. I've never imagined that I would be a lead engineer in a program this big. So don't be afraid of the math and science. It happens. That grade C or that F you get on an exam doesn't stop. You know, keep going and look into different things. Try it out. Most of the people who come on High Tech Sunday are leaders in their workspaces, they are leaders in their communities, they're leaders in faith-based community, church, what have you. And one of the things a lot of them talk about is the importance of mentors in their lives. And you've talked about that as well. So talk to our young listeners now about how important it is to have a mentor on their journey. I am a mentor and protege. 
So to me, mentorships provides insights, development, some fine tuning, and help. So typically your mentor can provide access within your industry or even outside your industry, teaching you skills necessary to establish good habits. And if you're lucky, you get a few who are brutally honest and they'll help you create you, not them. And a lot of times mentor find, mentors find ways to stimulate our personal and professional growth. You've talked about how mentors help with, you know, teaching you processes, uh, teaching you good habits, uh, helping those core values that you have to blossom and to grow, and also creating access to opening doors for you in a word. So what was the best advice that you've ever gotten from a mentor on your journey? I've had so many mentors and to this day, I still have more than one. The one thing that stuck out was this particular mentor who was not in the same field as me. And he told me, you want to stay on the fast train moving. And that has always stuck with me. I try not to get complacent and I take on challenges that are impactful and facilitate growth. I think when you become complacent, you miss out on growth and opportunities. Don't get complacent. Where do you find good mentors? I think you touched on that briefly in the beginning. Where would young students find a good mentor? Where should they look? So as a student, you could start out finding mentors in your community, in school, church, work, on social media. Initiate the contact and ask if they have the time. So you want to select based on what you want to grow in an area or where you would like to be. A mentor doesn't have to be in your field either. And having an outside perspective also helps tremendously. You could be stuck a certain, in a certain area where development is kind of difficult for you. And a mentor actually can see this from just having a different perspective. So it's not always being and having a mentor in STEM. You could also find someone outside of that. Great. So look for good people in your church. Look for good people in your community. Look for upright people at work. Look for people who are doing the right thing and and ask them and seek advice from them and, and, and sort of initiate that, that relationship with them. You work for one of the largest employers uh, in IT, in, in health, in cybersecurity in, in the US. Does Lidos have any programs that can help young people looking to enter into a STEM career path? Internally, the mentoring that's happening within Lidos is more specific to leadership versus STEM skills development. Externally, Lidos is involved in STEM mentoring through community partnerships. One of those partnerships is with First Robotics that encourages our employees to volunteer as STEM mentors. Additionally, different groups, teams, individuals throughout our company also provide STEM mentoring opportunities, um, and some of them we're not fully aware of. For example, our employee resource group, ERG, will sometimes partner with local community organizations to offer STEM mentoring opportunities. So if students want to know about this, um, go to the website. Are there other avenues, uh, points of access that they can get this information from? 
Uh, yes, if they want to, they can do um, a search or go to the lidos.com and scroll all the way down to the bottom of our website. And if you go to careers, there's different ways to navigate this site. I don't have it on, off the top of my head right now. But if you wanted to know more specifically about Lidos, they can actually um, reach out to me on social media and I'll be able to help them. Wonderful. And what's your handle on social media? So on Twitter, I am KAP25A37A. And also on Instagram, Crystal AP25A37A. Okay, wonderful. Thank you so much. We'll get all that information again at the end with Brandon or when the podcast goes out. Crystal, it's been wonderful talking to you this afternoon. I've learned so much and it's always great to, to have someone who we gain from their insights, we gain from their perspectives because they see things in STEM and IT that sometimes we miss and sometimes we don't see. So it's always good to have this discussion different people in the field of STEM. Thank you so much again. At this point, I'm going to throw it back to Dr. Vaughn. Dr. Vaughn? Hey, Langle, thanks so much. And I, I concur with what you've said. Just a really great conversation and lots of nuggets that you're dropping on us, Crystal. And so uh, we really appreciate that. I do want to actually just quickly uh, uh, revisit one thing that I uh, heard you say that I think was so powerful as you were speaking with Lango. You said that you have developed a habit of raising your hand. Uh, can you just uh, just amplify that a little bit more? Why is it that you raise your hand, and and is there any time where you have uh, regretted that practice? I raise my hand because there are times where I have felt kind of bored at work, and I know that some of the projects had nothing to do with anything that I was working on. And so I raised my hand and I've had great opportunities happen because of that. I got to work at the new NATO building in Brussels for work. So that was a great paid working vacation, I want to say. <laughs> and I have not regretted it because it has made me a well-rounded engineer and also solutions architect. I often, throughout Lido's, get by name request or picked out to work on something because I went and worked on a different program, conducting a trade study or just working with others. And that has increased uh, social capital and also networking throughout Lidos since it's so such a big company. Well said. And I, I kind of expected that you would say something like that. And so I think that that's a lesson right there. Raise your hand. And I've been reflecting actually today on uh, a statement that was made famous by Zig Ziglar. Uh, and it goes something to the effect, and I'm sure that you've heard it, success happens when opportunity meets preparation. It sounds like you have a little twist on that. Sometimes you've got to make your own opportunity in order for what you've been prepared for to actually uh, benefit the organization and give you the experience as well. So thanks for challenging us uh, in that regard. 
as we start to wind down the conversation, we definitely would be remiss if we didn't highlight something that was shared in the intro. And that is that last month you were being celebrated by the world. And that is uh, was happening during the Black Engineer of the Year Awards. And you were celebrated as the 2021 Wanda Austin Legacy Award winner. So tell us, what was that experience like and, and what did it mean to you? It was wow. That was my first thought upon receiving the notification. And then I am completely humbled. And it was such an honor to be a recipient of such a prestigious award. I never imagined I would even be considered. Being among so many talented STEM professionals is truly an unforgettable experience. And it has inspired me because my story out there inspires someone else. And I'm compelled to continue the advocacy of STEM using my voice, my presence, and time to inspire others to enter into STEM. Great. And, and it was. It was just, uh, it's always uh, such an inspirational, awe-inspiring, humbling uh, experience to uh, witness uh, the, the Black Engineer of the Year, women of color, and invariably uh, winners like yourself who are like at the pinnacle of the profession and leaders in STEM. They always say the same thing that it's incredible to have been in the company of such greatness when they themselves are part of why that company is so great. So congratulations again. Thank you. Sure. So we're going to ask you for your information again, as far as those handles are concerned with Twitter and Instagram uh, in particular, I think you shared, but this is Women's History Month, as you know, and as you reflect upon all that you have experienced, all that you desire to accomplish in your career, in your philanthropic endeavors, your community service, your ministry, what words of encouragement could you leave with our audience, especially the women in the audience, especially the young women in the audience that would help inspire, encourage, empower them as they are looking to their futures? I would say, go for it. The door is there and it's open, but only you can step through that door. It's open, but you have to go to that door. You're the one that's going to walk through that door. So go through it. Step up. Step up. Uh, that, that, that's a headline right there. Uh, raise your hand, step up, walk through the door. Tell us again how people can follow you uh, on social media. Uh, I, I, again, you shared your handles uh, a few minutes ago. Can you give us that again? Yes, you can reach me on Twitter under KAP25A37A and on Instagram, Crystal AP25A37A. 
Alrighty, we got it. And it will be very helpful as people have the opportunity to check it out and to follow you as you continue on your journey to help close the digital divide while also being one that is helping us uh, with what you do at Lytles because it is absolutely mission critical these days. Crystal Porter, it has been a pleasure, and we certainly want to thank you again for joining us on High Tech Sunday today. Orlando Dean and the rest of us here, I appreciate what it is that you have shared, and we're looking forward to more great things in store for you. We're going to turn it back over to Brandon Newby, who's going to see us out. You take care. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of High Tech Sunday. Career Communication Group's High Tech Sunday looks at professional development and technology through the lens of spiritual philosophies. In a time when digital information is more critical than ever, this weekly program is produced by and for CCG's community of alumni and professionals in science, technology, engineering, and math fields. The community runs from national thought leaders to aspiring students, and this weekly series aims to bring a concentrated discussion around technological advancements and achievements based on universal moral principles. The one-hour podcast will be streamed every Sunday. The podcast can be accessed through the Bay of Facebook page, Women of Color Facebook page, and CCG YouTube page, in addition to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and Spotify. Please join us next time.